Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Hey everyone, and welcome back to A Little Better. Thank you for joining us for another week. Whether you're watching or listening, we're always excited to have all our, I'm going to say the right number. I'm actually going to look it up real quick. The exact number of listeners we have, 3.79 billion listeners a week. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's it, right, Drew? Yeah, I'm sure the aliens from outer space are listening right now. So. By the billions. <laughs> I did. I did the keyboard sounds. Did they sound convincing? Like I was looking something up. I I think you. Everybody was convinced until you released the number. Okay, <laughs> that was the line. All right. Well, hey, Drew. Thanks for joining us. Looking forward to chatting again about the last week of a tale of two brothers. Um, thank you for being on. And I have some things I need to run by you because the, the people need to know. All right. First of all, in the message, you talked about a particular pretzel establishment for which you worked. And I need to know the definitive answer. How do you pronounce the name of that establishment? Annie Ann's. Annie Ann's. Yeah. Say it again. Say it one more time. Annie Ann's. Annie Ann's. Okay. So this is from a, an actual employee. Because I feel like, for one, my wife's from New Hampshire. I don't know if it's just her family or whatever. They, say, they would say auntie in like a normal circumstance. But So it's not auntie Ann's. And it's not auntie Ann's. It's Annie Ann's, like not not like a hard T in the middle. You can get away with a hard T. You okay. can go Annie Ann's or Auntie Ann's, I mm-hmm. think. But it's, no it was a long time ago, so <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure we said Annie Ann's. So, <laughs> but um, but definitely I, I'm not. Sure, not like, reading is my, not my gift, so I could be saying it wrong the whole time. I know for a fact it's not Auntie's Ann's. Okay. <laughs> It's either Auntie Anne's or Annie Anne's. So. Okay, well, that, and I'm also confused because I actually I think I've talked to you about this before because I was so amazed that you had worked there. You were like a leasing intern, but they taught you how to make pretzels. Is that right? Like you got best of both worlds or no? Yeah, so you like part of my training for the job was they taught you the twist and the like the pinch of the pretzel. Like you went through like, I don't know, it was two weeks of training learning learning the system of what franchisees go through and like how they run their stores and how you make the pretzels. It was amazing because I'm sitting here making pretzels and then you get to eat them. And And so, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was actually a pretty cool system because, you know, I could relate to everybody in the, in the industry, you know, from the people working to the the people overseeing. So it was kind of cool. Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, I don't know that I would have thought of it, but now have that you say it, it like makes a ton of sense that you wouldn't just jump right to like, all right, let's get into leasing. Like that you would know the product in that sense. And to know the product, that's like the, when I think of Auntie Anne's growing up, going, we all, every, every uh, Christmas, around the Christmas season, somewhere near Christmas Eve, my family would go up to Cleveland. Um, and there was this mall that did these like Christmas displays with all these like shooting fountains and lights and all any, all this stuff. But anyway, the thing I remember was that there was an Auntie Anne's there. And I we probably had one in our mall like five minutes from my house. But in my mind, it only existed an hour from my house in Cleveland. And so like these were just legendary things. But the coolest thing was not the pretzels. I mean, they're real good. But it was watching them do what looked like true like black magic sorcery to make that dough twist in the way that you did it. That twist is not easy. <laughs> it Maybe it's for everybody else, but I was like... 
<laughs> They're like, no, Drew, that's not correct. And believe it or not, someone took a picture at Annie Ann's Sunday and sent it to me. Really? Yes. They sent me a picture at Annie Ann's and I was like, you need to get a cinnamon sugar and an original pretzel. I think they went for pepperoni and cheese, mm-hmm. which I mean, hey, sounds still good to me, but it ain't, <laughs> it ain't the original or the cinnamon sugar. Let's be honest. It should be no surprise to anyone that knows me well in my eating habits that I'm all about the original. <laughs> and cinnamon sugar, that sounds sufficiently elementary to be something that I would enjoy. Oh my goodness. But okay, I had to ask because that was definitely on my mind as I was listening. And then also, I was thinking about the copper pots that you brought in. Are those like used as actual means of cooking things in your home or are those purely um decor uh one is decor one is actual use so the one that was black and ugly (laughs) uh, yeah um that actually is from israel i bought that for my wife on a trip to israel and we boil water in that and when our coffee is like um, you know, we brewed a coffee this, a coffee this morning when Ashley wants to reheat it, she puts it in that pot and boils it. So it's, it gets quite a bit of use in our, our family tea season, you know, all that kind of good stuff. So the okay. other one is shiny and hangs on our, like we have a hood right by our, our stove. And so it hangs there. Oh, okay. So there's a reason for one looking nice and one not looking nice. Uh, I didn't, I mean, obviously knowing what Ashley does for work, it, it seemed like a reasonable question to think that you would have copper just decor pots. <laughs> Oh it's a small pot too. It's only like this big. So I'm like, what in the world would you put in here? Like, oh hey, congratulations. I made soup. Enough for me, but not the rest of the family. <laughs> I I warmed half of a of of a can of Campbell's soup. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um okay, so I, I this is a totally random question, but I thought of this as well. Um the social media fast that our church has done, um didn't wildly impact me in that I, I spend very little, especially lately time on social media. So I didn't like go off in any particular way, but I was just wondering as you went off and that ending in a couple of days, right? What have you felt, experienced, thought, uh, learned anything like that? I'm just always curious how people, uh, what that change might do. Yeah. I think I've recognized a couple of things. One, how often and how quickly in boredom I go to it. Mm. So just, out of sheer, like, ah, I'm bored. What do I do? I go to Instagram or Facebook and look at pictures or whatever. I'm not a huge poster. I wouldn't say I'm a active, um, social media person, um, in, in, in the least, but I do waste a lot of time just scrolling through it. And so not having that, I feel like, wow, one, my head has hurt less. I think the sc- just staring at a screen so close, like I, my head has been a little bit like clearer and like, I don't have as many, like, I don't know, not headaches, but just like, fogginess. Um, and my wife has loved it. She's like, Drew, you have not been on your phone as much as you have. She's like, I love it. You've been with the kids. You've been active and present. I'm like, wow, I'm a terrible human being. Yeah. I won't go back to social media, honestly. So, oh man. I, I, I would never live that down. Cause you would be like, mm, told you so. Told you so. <laughs> No, no, but seriously, I'm the, one of the big reasons, I mean, I'm kind of a loser when it comes to most things. That's why I'm, I'm not a social media because I'm just too behind probably. But, um, also because I, I'm, I'm pretty terrible. Like when I'm on it, right when the pandemic started, I got back on and whatever. And occasionally when things will happen, I'll get on Twitter. Cause that's like the way I'll get news or whatever. But, um, I have no track record of it not owning me. Like if I'm on, I'm just completely, like you said, I, I have a, experiment and immediately boom I'm on my phone I'm looking at it I'm scrolling I'm 
in in taking the angst that is you know the world out there and so it's just like i don't have any drug record of it being good now my problem is the the couple weeks after i'll delete a social media app that same instinctual grab my phone flip it open and start to look at things it still happens i just will literally find myself like opening you know apps i haven't opened in a hundred years and just like scrolling around in the settings of like the next door app or something you know what i mean i'm like what am i doing so i'm it's not necessarily that i'm on my phone list although that eventually goes away like those apps are so boring that there's nothing there's there's no appeal and eventually i'm done but um yeah it's amazing and actually on a on a unrelated note i guess we we watched the netflix documentary social dilemma um, I wouldn't normally recommend things. I feel like recommending anything from Netflix can be sketchy because you never know like where everyone is in terms of what they will or won't watch. But Social Dilemma was a, it's a documentary about social media and its addictiveness. And it was actually extremely compelling. And it, the point is from a bunch of people who basically helped build all the social media platforms we're aware of and talking about how it's super addictive, how it's designed to be addictive and that there needs to be some regulations and some things changed. And these people have all left that company and whatever. So um, it was really compelling. So I don't know. Hmm. You might, you might, uh, I'm normally not recommending movies. Actually, and I plan to watch it. I just like, babe, I'm not sure I want to be depressed tonight watching this. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, ugh, you know, like, mm. I like to watch things that I'm like, oh, that was fun. And oh, yeah. they love it. Just Christmas feels- movies. <laughs> yeah, Christmas movies. But yeah. So yeah. we'll get uh, it shows how much I'm not, I said something about social dilemma the other day, like the day after we watched it and someone was like, you and the whole world is watching that. And I was like, oh, apparently it's like a thing and I just, because I'm not in social media. I don't know that everyone's posting about this, but that's an ironic thing that I don't know about it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, let's actually talk about the message because otherwise people are wondering why we do this podcast to talk about random oh, stuff like all, all billions. Oh yeah. The bill, the billions of all our listeners, all billions of them. Um, okay. So Sunday, uh, last week of, um, a tale of two brothers, father's example. And I think there was so much in here that's compelling and helpful. Um, and just insights from the book and then things that you added that were really helpful to me. And I think in particular, the, the big mind blown moment to me was the, um, just the fact that someone should have been pursuing the younger brother. That's a pattern that is so easy to miss. Um, But definitely, even in the feedback process, people were like, wait, why? Like, is there some rule culturally that he should have? Or like, you know, basically cite your sources. Why is that a thing? So let's just chat about it a little bit because I think it probably merits further discussion as to why Timothy Keller, you scholars, other people believe that that's what Jesus was implying by that story. Yeah, I think the first thing is the pattern. I think this is why we, you know, I said this in week one of the series. This is why when we read the Bible, we have to make sure we're understanding the full context of whatever chapter we're reading. And again, we're zooming in on one story in the series, but there was three. And so when you look at the pattern of those three stories, I think it's the biggest indicator that something was lost and needed pursued. And in the third story, it's not pursued. Now, I'm not sure any scholar can come to the conclusion that, oh, officially it was the older brother's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's enough evidence to prove that without, without you know, a shadow of a doubt. But it was somebody's responsibility, according to the pattern Jesus created, to pursue something that was lost. That doesn't happen. And so it was either the father's responsibility or the the older brother's responsibility. And 
culturally, I think a lot of scholars believe that would have fell on the older brother, his responsibility. Um, and I think it just, it, it, it fits with knowing why Jesus is teaching in the context of the story, why he's, he's teaching these stories. It's to rebuke the religious people who weren't pursuing the people who were lost. That's why they were mad at Jesus in the first place. Right. So they're mad. He's surrounded by lost people. And he tells a third story saying, oh yeah, you know, the people who are lost that you should be pursuing that are hanging around me that you're mad. Oh yeah. You need to change your attitude. And so I think it just fits very well as we study why Jesus is telling this story that it probably was the older brother's responsibility. Yeah. I love all of that. I think the, <laughs> the, the first two stories are almost like a positive rebuke of the religious leaders in the form of, okay, like the, the pattern, you mentioned the pattern. I think I would even add one more. The pattern was something is lost. There's a search for it. And then the thing is found. And I think the, the fourth component you could add is that there's a party, right? So like lost item, a search occurs, the thing is found and a party occurs. Well, Jesus, in telling that story twice, just with slightly different details, he's, he's setting the positive example. It probably would have been encouraging to the sinners of like, oh, hey, lost things get pursued. That's kind of cool. And I'm, a, I'm on the outskirts of society. I'm kind of the lost thing. Maybe that's kind of encouraging to them, especially the rejoicing in heaven. Like that would have been really encouraging. But it's also, it's kind of like rebuking your kids by saying, hey, did I ever tell you the time about, you know, the neighbor kid who always picks up all the trash, you know, what, you know, you're telling a positive story of what you wish somebody were doing. Yep. But then the other way to do it is to describe in the worst possible vivid details what it's like when somebody does it wrong. You know what I mean? So Jesus does that, you know, creatively. He rebukes them twice by a positive example and then once by a negative example. And so if you think about the, I, I wrote down quick thoughts about this, like, lost search found party that's the pattern well it happens twice and then in the fourth the third story which is the the tale of two brothers that we've been talking about lost and then there's no search he's found and then there's no party like when you think about the the search party that should have happened there should have been somebody searching and then that searching person should have been partying but the two things that the older brother should have done and that the person did do in the first two stories, the elder brother does not do. He does not search and he does not party. But the shepherd searched and partied with the sheep. The lady searched and partied with the coin. And then you get to the third story and it's just, again, you don't need some like, and in the first century, you'll notice that older brothers were always known to be the ones who would search for wayward, you know, like you don't need a cultural document in papyrus. You just like look at the context and go like, oh my goodness, what's obvious is that there's no search and there's no party. And the audience is like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> I'm that guy, you know? Yes. Yeah, no, I think you said it well. And that's that was Jesus's point between, be, behind telling those three stories. He was ultimately telling the first two to set up the third story to really rebuke the religious leaders. And mm -hmm. as Jesus always does, he accomplished his goal very well. Right. And that's... Um, of course, what's funny is we have latched on to the more emotionally compelling component of the story at some level because it's always just so like, wow, moving that the father is so quick to, you know, re rejoice with his, his younger son and to accept him back in and all that kind of stuff. And like we've talked about, every kid's story ends there because that's what feels so compelling because I think we can all we all kind of hope that we're the younger brother in the scenario where like God is welcoming us home and what a reflection of God's heart. 
But I think we you you miss the whole point of all three of these stories combined, which is to go like more likely, more than likely, you're the older brother, and you need the rest of this story and the whole context to recognize. That probably, this is not meant to be a reminder of God's heart for those who are far from him. It's meant to be a rebuke for those who lack grace. And I don't know why that's surprising to us, because isn't that what we do with the entire Bible? We try to interject ourselves into the hero, the good guy of the story, mm-hmm. or even the, the rebellious brother. He wasn't necessarily the greatest guy, but he it comes out good. He, he comes full circle. Like none of us would want to be the younger brother if he just left and never came back. We would never be like, oh yeah, that, that. no, we want to be that because he comes back as a beautiful party, it's celebration. Mm-hmm. We usually, if rarely ever identify with the jerk of the story. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And really most of us are that person in this story. We are the religious, we are the person on the outskirts of the story. And I love how Jesus leaves the story. There's no resolution. There's no comfort to the Pharisee at all. It's like, no, actually you missed out on the party Mm -hmm. and you're still on the outskirts. Unless you choose to change, Mm -hmm. you're, you're still not celebrating. Yeah. And that's over. Your your move. <laughs> yeah, you ever watch a movie that that kind of just ends with no? There's just something in us that's like, oh no, what? And that's how we should feel at that if we mm-hmm. fall in that older brother. Like that should be a a dire warning from Jesus to us. Yeah, it's like bounce pass from Jesus to you. Your move, <laughs> you know, how are you going to handle this? Um, by the way, that was a pretty good, I felt like that was a pretty good, like sports illustration, uh, the sports, you know, I'm really into the sports and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, Hey, sure. A bounce pass. <laughs> it's the first thing I'm listening in too. <laughs> um, but you know, it's of course, it's brilliant storytelling. It's all the things that you would expect, you know, <laughs> it, it's coming from Jesus, <laughs> but we do have to, in any, in any story in the Bible, of course, our goal is to understand its meaning to the original audience and then decide where we, what components of the Bible best match our situation. So whether it's Jesus with the woman at the well, I remember like hearing that always the lens of like, we should be like Jesus and that we should be reaching out to people who are on the fringes. And that's true, but maybe, maybe we should be identifying with the woman, <laughs> like Jesus is coming to us to offer us a relationship with him, despite the fact that we're the person with five husbands, you know, like don't always find yourself as Jesus, the victor, the hero, find yourself as the one in need of the rescue. And you'll begin to undo your older brother tendencies. <laughs> I think if we do that with the Bible, it will change the way we see the Bible. I really do. When we read the Bible, just always pick to be the bad guy. And you probably find yourself in the right spot. Usually, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like that, that, cause that's who we are. Like, and I think we are, we just don't, we become so religious. And so it, like, it just becomes ingrained to us. So like, and that's why we fall into like, man, I've, I've been so good. I've earned this. And no, 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 no. You, mm-hmm. you haven't earned this. This is a Jesus thing. Absolutely. So um, one more thought I want to uh, just hit us, kind of hit, hit us in the direction of, and then we'll, we'll close this down and, and wrap up this series. I, once again, I, we can't recommend enough the book Prodigal God by Tim Keller. I know we've quoted it a bunch. If you haven't read it, I just really encourage you to. A lot of the major themes you will have already heard. In fact, probably in more detail even than the book goes into, but uh, it's a quick read, man. It's a total Saturday afternoon. If you don't have young kids, you could knock it out. If you do have young kids, it's going to take you three Saturday afternoons, but that's another conversation. Um, but anyway, it's a quick read. I really recommend it. But um, the the thing I want to just end on is I'm sure that there are some people who are feeling like 
we've touched on this a bit, but I'm not, I'm not the younger brother. I'm not the older brother. I'm somewhere in between, or I'm in different points of my life. I'm both of them or whatever. Um, but maybe you're just like the kind of person who is a good Christian, meaning I, I am doing right things. And I'm even honestly trying to do them from a good motive. But the way that I hear your sermons, it sounds like unless I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm doing this out of perfect motives, that I'm an older brother and I'm the worst and I need to stop doing everything I'm doing because I'm just a Pharisee. You know what I mean? Like as somebody who can tend to be extreme, how do I avoid the extreme of like, so what this means is like, okay, forget it until I'm convinced of my motives. I'm just done. You know? Yeah, I, I think one, having that attitude is not a bad thing. I just, again, don't take it to the extreme where you stop doing good things. No, we should do good things. God calls us to do good things. Mm-hmm. I, I think we have to put guardrails in our hearts and our minds that keep us from stepping into religion, that keep us from doing good things to make us look good rather than doing good things to make him look good. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think, you know, hearing this series shifting to that extreme is a terrible thing. I just think let's bring it back and, and let's strategically look at our lives and say, okay, what good am I doing? And really ask yourself a really hard question. Why am I doing this good? Mm-hmm. And answer it honestly, you know, cause I even found myself in, in a lot of areas of my life, I was doing good and I was claiming I was doing it for God. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was kind of true, but I really loved looking good while doing it. Yeah. And I think we just have to guard ourselves against that. You know, if you are following God and you're following him fully, you'll have the right motives and you do the right things. And we have to keep a balance between doing the right things and having the right motives. And that's a fine line. I don't know the perfect system that's going to keep you from going back and forth. But I think if you're asking yourself hard questions, if you surround yourself with a community group that's going to challenge you and it feels like you're faking it, Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're going to have a system in place that's going to keep you from becoming a Pharisee. That thing, that's a really good answer. That's helpful. And obviously, like I said, I'm an extreme person, so I can, I can easily over either overthink it or take it to a, a logical extreme. That's probably not even that logical. Here's uh, this story too. Like it, you know, in this story, what, what keeps, what makes this older brother a Pharisee? Well, he can't celebrate when someone's far from God comes to the party. Like he won't go to the party and celebrate somebody who he thinks doesn't deserve to be celebrated. And I think that's a good first guardrail. It's like, hey, when you sit in a service, no matter whether it's Northridge or another church, are you frustrated because you're not getting what you want, but maybe the person far from God is? Like, are you struggling to celebrate people who are coming to know Jesus at your church because you're not getting the deep message that you long for or, you know, whatever it is, you're having to sacrifice for the sake of somebody else. If you're struggling to celebrate some of those things, you might have leaned a little bit more towards the older brother. And I think that's a good guardrail to look like this brother couldn't even celebrate what, what, what was happening in his life. And if you can't celebrate things happening in other people's lives, like who that's a, that's a good barometer that maybe you've crossed the line into religion a little bit. Yeah, that's good. There's no, there's nothing about the older brother's farming that was the problem. It was his attitude over years of doing the right thing that produced not maturity, not graciousness, not a love for his brother and a love for his father, but a love for what his work would eventually produce for him, you know? So 
as we, as we are doing good, we ought to, Hey, you know, James says, if we know to do good and we don't do it, it's sin. So like right off the bat, even if you're not hundred percent sure about your motives and you want to please God, you know, like baseline, I want to please God because of what he's done for me. And as long as that's the order, like yeah. I, I want to do good because of what he's done for me. So first of all, he's done something that I want to do good and you know, to do good, then do it. If you don't actually it's sin, you know, so there's that. And also Titus talks about how we want, we want to be eager to do what is good, ready to do what is good, always doing what is good, zealous for goodness. So like, and our goodness, you know, makes the gospel more attractive. Like there's nothing we should be defaulting toward. If I have to choose between apathy and good deeds and I'm, ha- I'm waffling between them because I'm not sure about my motives, I think God is more pleased with like lean toward do the good thing, you know, and but make as long as it's all based on God has saved me. And so I want to do good. And sometimes I'm not great at discerning my motives. Or sometimes I don't know for sure if this is for me or for God. And like, okay, well, go for it and be praying and have a posture of humility. I don't think that when the Pharisees were praying loudly on the street corners, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector and sinner, that they were eagerly assessing their heart for potential sin. I think that they were very likely in blatant sin. In fact, the very words that they were using were blatant sin. And so we don't need to take that to mean like, I can't ever do public prayer. Well, if your public prayers are, thank you that I'm not like this rotten sinner, then yeah, you probably shouldn't do public prayer. But if you can't always say beyond a shadow of a doubt, every time I pray, I know for certain that it's in right motivations, you might be overthinking it and maybe you're not doing enough good. Like if you have enough time to think about every single action that much, maybe you just need to add some serving to your repertoire. I don't know. And I think that's why I, that's why I challenge you know, followers of Christ to go back to the gospel because when I live in thanksgiving, Thanksgiving causes me to be reminded of what's valuable to me. And when I go back to the gospel and realize who I was and how Christ saved me out of Thanksgiving, I think I do things with the right motive. Mm. You know, so if my, if my source is the gospel and I recognize every day, wow, I don't deserve this, couldn't earn this, but man, am I thankful for this? I think that points your motives in the right direction. Mm. You know, yes. and so if we start there, usually our motives are in the right place. You're not thinking, man, I'm a, I'm a, a wretch and I've been saved by grace and then be like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm glad I'm not that guy because you've already realized you were that guy, you've been saved. And so instead of saying, I'm not that guy, you say, wow, God, I'm praying for that guy. And yeah. your motives shift how your mind thinks and how you do things. And I think starting at the gospel is the best place to be because it gives you a full picture of where you've been and why you are where you are today. Absolutely. If your prayer in the shower in the morning is, there's nothing I could do today that could make you love me more or less than you already do. What an incredible reality. Man, when when the first thing that you do that day that pleases God, you can be relatively assured it's from the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what keeps the the copper looking like the decor and not like the daily use, you know, um, is a fresh reminder of the gospel every day and find the things that do that, you know, certain authors, I I was going to ask you this, we're we're really out of time, but you know, I think people could do this in group or whatever is like, what are the things that best remind you of the gospel? Like I have a couple authors, Jerry Bridges, Paul Tripp. There's a couple different kinds of, you know, certain communicators or whatever that for whatever reason, I think Tim Keller is one of them, prodigal God. Some of his other books have really been like remarkable to me and their ability to ignite a a fresh awareness of what the gospel is for me. So like find those things and push that button as often as you can, you know, like, I don't know if you've got something out of the top of your head as we close that you feel like does that, but 
that's just been huge for me to, to be brought back to like, there's nothing more important than this. And so every day has to start here. Yeah. Two things off the top of my head that are real quick. One, I hang I, I try to hang around lost people as much as I can, because it, mm-hmm. it, it continues that fire in my heart of like, people need Jesus. I've experienced Jesus. People need him. And then secondly, I have created a muscle in my head, in my heart, um, that has not allowed me to become numb to the gospel. And what I mean by that is like, you know, every week, sometimes we see a report of someone came to know Jesus Christ. In fact, I just read uh, the report. There's a guy named Cam who said, Hey, I think his name was Cam. I, I said yes to Jesus. And I read that and it's easy for me to read a form and be like, Oh, that's cool. No, I was like, no, 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 no. We're going to stop right now. We're going to pray for Cam. And I'm going to, I'm going to like literally do a dance in my, like I got up out of my chair and was like, yes, Jesus. Thank you. Like it sounds ridiculous, but it, it, it breaks my heart down and it softens it and it celebrates. Like I'd never want to get to the place where I see someone cross the line of faith and not celebrate it, not be like, yes, Jesus, this is amazing. This is awesome. Like I, 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 I won't allow myself to do that. And I think that's just something we, we have to be okay saying, no, 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 no. I got to do something stupid right now. It's going to look stupid. It's going to be obnoxious, but this is worth celebrating. And so I've just not allowed myself to get numb. I, I, I like literally will hit myself if I like, it's just, I can't, I cannot do that. I love it. And I, my skeptical heart, my brokenness needs that real bad. So thanks for your example, man. Uh, thanks for taking the time, everybody. Thank you for listening. You've got questions, comments, as always, please send them in. We really love to hear from you. Some of the questions that I even said, even though I'm not quoting uh, different people who have sent them in are from tensions or thoughts or feelings that I'm getting from people who, who express their thoughts for the podcast. So thanks folks for doing that. We will see you guys next week.